Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.48 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It's the 27th day of September 2023, and this is episode 801 of Bitcoin. And I got nothing but to, but thanks to tell everybody that kind of came out of the woodwork uh, yesterday after I published the show and said some really kind things um, to me. And it really, when I woke up this morning, I was greeted with a, well... A truckload of love is about the only way that I can I can put it. Um, it's why I do this. It's it really is. It's why I do this. There's there's service that you perform for you know particular reasons, and sometimes sometimes it becomes hard to to continue that service. But then all of a sudden, people will rain down love all over you. And when they do that, it's up to the person providing the service to acknowledge that everybody that sent love is your why Why we do these things. You're literally the reason why we do it. So with that said, I'm going to open up the Circle P. I'm going to go ahead and plug Good Beans Coffee from El Salvador again. You can go buy your all your coffee needs if you want to. Um, cat, dude. My cat is scrummaging around again. If you want coffee and you want to support people in El Salvador and you want good El Salvadoran coffee, then Good Beans Coffee is for you. You can find them over at thegoodbeans.com. That is thegoodbeans.com. Yes, they take Bitcoin via the Lightning Network. It makes it really easy, really fast, and they'll ship it to your door and you're going to get real, actual El Salvadoran coffee to your door and just enjoy it. And if you do buy some coffee from them, please, please, please tell them that you heard it here from the Bitcoin and podcast that they are in the circle P. Now, shall we start with Gensler? Gensler is apparently giving testimony this morning. Uh, Gareth Jenkinson is going to tell us a little bit about what he's talking about from cointelegraph.com. SEC chair Gary Gensler is highlighting a new focus on AI, predictive data analytics, and the cryptocurrency sector before the United States Financial Services Committee. SEC Chair Gary Gensler is set to outline how the United States Securities Regulator is updating its rules to align with technology and business models of the 2020s. As is customary, Gensler's opening remarks have been published ahead of the September 27th hearings, outlining the SEC's wider oversight of securities and exchange in the United States. There is particular interest in the SEC's approach to the cryptocurrency sector, which has copped criticism from its regulate-by-enforcement approach that has been criticized for quashing innovation and adoption in America. 
Gensler will directly address two, count them, one, two areas of emerging technology, namely predictive data analytics and cryptocurrencies. The SEC chair is set to stress that investors and issuers involved in crypto asset securities markets deserve protections afforded by securities laws. Referring to the establishment of the 1933 Securities Act, Gensler said that the United States Congress made a decision to include a list of more than 30 items in the definition of a security, including the term investment contract. Quote, as I've previously said, without prejudging any one token, the vast majority of crypto tokens likely meet the investment contract test. Hold on for just a sec. Had to boot a cat out of here. Hopefully she will not come back. Gensler is set to tell the House Financial Services Committee that the SEC's view that most cryptocurrencies are subject to securities laws also necessitate that intermediaries such as exchanges, brokers, and dealers must comply with these laws as well. The SEC chair suggests that the wider industry has been guilty of wide-ranging non-compliance with the securities laws which has led to a number of enforcement actions. Gensler added that the SEC has looked to address the cryptocurrency security market sector through rulemaking. This included a reopening release published in April of 2023 that reiterated the applicability of existing SEC rules to platforms that trade cryptocurrencies, including DeFi protocols. Included in the release were further guidelines for systems that would fall under a new proposed exchange definition. Quote, While our current investment advisor custody rule already applies to crypto funds and securities, our proposal updating it would cover all crypto assets and enhance the protections that qualified custodians provide, end quote. According to the SEC chair, predictive data analytics and artificial intelligence have brought about a transformational age driving efficiencies across the economy. The potential of the technology stands to increase financial inclusion and user experience, but it also poses risks of exploitation. Quote, this also raises the possibility that conflicts may arise to the extent, for example, that advisors or broker dealers are optimizing to place their interest ahead of their investors' interest. End quote. Gensler's address also notes an SEC proposal in July of 2023 that would require firms to analyze conflicts of interest arising from the use of predictive data analytics to interact with investors. These potential conflicts would need to be eliminated or neutralized by the firms concerned. It remains to be seen whether Gensler will be drawn to comment on ongoing legal battles with Coinbase and Binance, two U.S.-based cryptocurrency exchanges that the regulator has charged with a litany of alleged securities laws violations. All right. <clears throat> oh, wow. QW is at me 10,000 Satoshis and says hashtag pleb chain. Hell yeah, brother. Uh, Ray Ray with 121 sats. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you both for the donations. I appreciate it. It's really useful. Um, it sounds to me like Gensler is basically not waffling, but he's, he's not saying anything. He's just, we're doing enforcement action. That's what we're doing. It doesn't sound like he's going to stop. He's using the 1933 investor protection or whatever the, uh, what is, what is it called? I didn't need to get the exact name of this thing. The 1933 Securities Act 
He's just hiding behind the 1933 Securities Act like he's always done. So Gensler is basically wasting everybody's time because he's not saying anything new. But one thing that he is reiterating that is of import is that if you hold a shitcoin, you likely hold an illegal security. Don't hold a shitcoin, just buy Bitcoin. Please, please, please remember that. Now, on to the next one. Speaking of the SEC, they have again, one more time for the people in the back, the SEC again delays its decision on ARK's Bitcoin ETF filing from Decrypt. Andrew Thorvalis is writing it. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission has again delayed approval for a set of Bitcoin spot ETF applications that have accumulated in in its inbox. And by the way, the SEC made the call this week, even though it wasn't required to issue a decision until November the 11th. November the 11th. They could have gone all through October. We're not even into October much less November, and here they are delaying the decision. Oh joy. One of Global X's ETF applications for which a response was due from the agency on October the 7th after the ETF provider joined the race later than competitors. However, it also delayed approval for the ARC 21 shares ETF, which was not due until November the 11th. Quote, The commission designates January 10th, 2024 as the date by which the commission shall either approve or disapprove the proposed rule change, wrote the SEC in a Tuesday filing. This marks the absolute final deadline by which the agency must either approve or deny ARC's application. Not not all of them, just ARC, ARC's ETF is January the 10th, 2024, is the drop-dead date for the SEC to say yes or no to ARK Invest Bitcoin ETF. Just keep that in mind. The SEC last delayed ARK's application in August, followed by a slew of other delays on applications from rival firms that were due in early September. BlackRock, the most prominent among the competitors, has its next deadline slated for October the 17th, which may be delayed Again, the delay comes shortly after a group of crypto-supportive congressmen, including Tom Emmer and Richie Torres, sent a letter to SEC Chair Gary Gensler demanding that he not continue to discriminate against spot Bitcoin exchange-traded products. Last month, Grayscale won a lawsuit against the SEC when it argued that the agency was being arbitrary and capricious in its denial of the firm's spot Bitcoin ETF alongside simultaneous approval of futures ETFs. The victory has left investors in eager anticipation for what the SEC will do in response, either approving a spot Bitcoin ETF or appealing the court's decision. Either way, Bloomberg ETF analyst James Seifert said Tuesday's delay may have put the hammer down on hopes of such a product being approved by the end of the year. Quote, My base case is that we will get the delays on the other filings tomorrow or sometime this week, and the SEC is simply getting ahead of a likely federal government shutdown, he wrote on Twitter on Tuesday. Bitwise, another member of the Bitcoin ETF race, filed an amendment to its application on Tuesday featuring new arguments against the SEC's case for denying spot ETFs, and they do not go into that in this decrypt article. So just... Be aware, guys, 
that this is, you know, this is an issue. Uh, 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 I know everybody wants this this Bitcoin ETF. I get it. I understand. I really, truly, truly do understand. It's It doesn't matter for actual Bitcoin. If all you're looking for is a price increase on Bitcoin, then yeah, it matters. Why? Because it unlocks a shit ton of money that is potential for flowing into Bitcoin, but it doesn't guarantee it, right? It does not guarantee it. In fact, I've wondered on many occasions, what it, what would the following look like? BlackRock ETFs or ETF gets approved. Let's say it happens tomorrow. Let's say for whatever reason, Gary Gensler says, yeah, you know what? I'm gonna, I have had a change of heart. We're going to approve at least BlackRock because I got, I got friends over at BlackRock. I will approve their ETF. And then nothing happens. Nobody, nobody takes the bait. Nobody buys into the, bit, the BlackRock Bitcoin ETF. What does that look like? What does that do to the price of Bitcoin? Well, there's going to be a sell-off if that happens. Even if there's only, even if some people buy it, but it's just not, it's just like meh, then you're going to have a price decrease in Bitcoin. So I'm not all excited about the Bitcoin ETF. The reason that I tell you about this is that this is what's going on in Bitcoin ETF land. And it looks like the SEC is just going to punt and delay and punt and delay until the last possible moment. But I agree with Seifert. We're probably not going to see a Bitcoin ETF this year. And I'm actually okay with that. I I really am. There's a lot of shit that, that still needs to be done to shore up a lot of stuff. We need a, we do need a lot more retail in Bitcoin. And I don't mean retail buyers. I mean actual people using Bitcoin to run their businesses with, like accepting Bitcoin, paying other vendors that are willing to accept vin, uh, Bitcoin for their services to that vendor. That We need more of that. And we need a lot more other smaller countries to basically get out of the IMF, WEF, WHO, World Bank bullshit and and strike their own path and stop taking loans from these jokers because they're just being enslaved. They've been enslaved for decades and decades and decades by these assholes, and it's not going to stop. And the only what there's only one exit for these countries, these especially Latin America and the continent of Africa. There's only one way out, and that's Bitcoin, and we all know it. So. Uh, DeFi Yogi says probably not ETF next year for sure. I I tend to agree with DeFi Yogi on this one because you know James Seifert is not you know, he's not an idiot, and the signals that are being flashed from the SEC basically are saying, yeah, no, we're not doing this right now. And then we've got this looming government shutdown, which we always have. My 13-year-old daughter came in and said, have you heard about the shutdown? And I'm like, oh my God. And I had to instruct her in the fact that if you look through history, this ain't the first time. She's just now, thank God she's 13 and she's starting to realize the stupidity of all this crap because she finally said, well, it doesn't matter if it's red or blue. I don't trust anybody. (laughs) I'm like, yes, thank you. Trust yourself. You know, trust your parents to do at least the, the right thing for you, even though we may get shit wrong. But as far as somebody outside your family, it is a do not 
trust. Just watch their actions. Do not listen to what they say. Look at what they do. And you'll figure out that it's all bullshit. It's just a huge circus out there. I Do I think the government will shut down this time? I don't know. Do I care? I probably should, but I don't. I don't have the throughput for it anymore. Why? Because I got this one. Have you ever wondered exactly what the hell people are talking about when they say the Byzantine general's problem? Have you ever wondered, it's like, well, I don't, really don't have time to go search for that. I got, you know, I've got dinner to cook or I've got a job to go to or I've got whatever. Okay, well then here you go. What is the Byzantine general's problem? Bitcoin Magazine is writing it from Bitcoin Magazine. The Byzantine general's problem is a game theory problem that reveals the challenges of achieving consensus among among a group of mutually suspicious entities using unreliable communications channels. Game theory refers to the best strategy adopted by independent and competing actors in decision-making. This article will explore the concept of the Byzantine General's Problem. The Byzantine General's Problem is particularly experienced in distributed computing, where it's more difficult for decentralized parties to reach a consensus without relying on a trusted central party. The game theory analogy is framed around a group of generals besieging Byzantium, a city, with each general in charge of a division of the army. They must be coordinated to either attack the city or retreat. If the coordination succeeds, all generals attack simultaneously and they will win. But if they are not coordinated, they will lose. How can the generals coordinate to attack simultaneously if they have to rely on messengers who can be intercepted or corrupted by Byzantium's defenders? They must design a protocol that allows the loyal generals to reach a robust consensus to combat the dishonest Byzantine generals. The Byzantine generals' problem doesn't occur in centralized systems. Because the decisions are always taken by the central authorities involved in the organization's decision-making process, therefore, the challenge lies in ensuring the reliability and integrity of the communication between the authority and the subordinate entities rather than achieving consensus among multiple independent parties, as in the case of distributed systems. In such systems, the messages or commands the authority sends mustn't be tampered with or maliciously altered during the transmission. The Byzantine general's problem is only common to decentralized systems, where reaching an agreement is more challenging. The network must be designed with a secure communication channel so that no messaging service is intercepted or interrupted to prevent the success of an attack. The historical background and the Byzantine Empire's influence. While the term Byzantine general's problem isn't directly connected to the historical Byzantine Empire, or Byzantium, whatever you want to call it, some parallels and potential influences may have led to the concept's origin. The Byzantine fault tolerance, referred to in distributed computing, implies the ability of a system to tolerate faulty or malicious components. In this context, the term Byzantine is inspired by the Byzantine Empire's historical challenges of coordinating actions and communication among its generals, some of whom could be traitorous or at least unreliable. 
Furthermore, the Byzantine Empire had a highly hierarchical structure with decentralized decision-making where various generals and commanders were responsible for leading their respective armies. Similarly, nodes or entities in distributed systems may have independent decision-making capabilities and achieving consensus among them poses challenges comparable to coordinating actions among multiple Byzantine generals. The parallel with the Byzantine Empire in the Byzantine General's Problem provides a symbolic framework for understanding the difficulties encountered in achieving consensus and fault tolerance in distributed systems. The complex decision-making dynamics and potential for malicious behavior seen in historical Byzantine military campaigns represent the challenges which distributed computing faces. The origin of the Byzantine General's Problem. The term Byzantine General's Problem was first introduced by computer scientist Leslie Lamport, Robert Shostak, and Marshall Peace in a paper published in 1982. NASA, the National Aeronautics and Space Administration, the Ballistic Missile Defense Command, and the Army Research Office partly supported the research paper. Such funding emphasizes the importance of this issue and that the concept can be applied to military communications other than all types of computer systems. In modern computing, the Byzantine General's problem must be solved if a dispersed group of nodes needs to achieve reliable communication. The Byzantine General's problem mainly affects distributed computing because achieving consensus in a network where nodes can be faulty or malicious is challenging. It has applications in various areas, including fault-tolerant systems, distributed databases, and blockchain technology. The problem has urged the development of Byzantine fault-tolerant consensus protocols and algorithms, which are crucial in ensuring the reliability and consistency of distributed systems. In blockchain systems, the Byzantine General's problem is addressed in consensus protocols like proof-of-work to reach an agreement among multiple nodes in a trustless environment. Byzantine fault tolerance represents an essential characteristic of decentralized blockchain networks. In cybersecurity and intrusion detection, the Byzantine General's problem analogy helps understand the challenges of securing computer networks against malicious actors who may attempt to disrupt communication, tamper with data, or launch attacks, and helps identify and mitigate such potential threats. The Byzantine General's problem finds application in Internet of Things, or IoT networks, where numerous devices must communicate and cooperate to perform certain tasks. Ensuring consensus and coordination among IoT devices, especially in the presence of unreliable or compromised nodes, is crucial for maintaining the integrity and security of IoT systems. The Byzantine General's problem is also essential in cloud computing to ensure reliability and fault tolerance in distributed cloud environments. Byzantine fault-tolerant protocols can handle faults and malicious behaviors within cloud computing systems. To ensure that a tiny group of malicious actors cannot disrupt a distributed system, an algorithm is required to provide the solution. Several algorithms, such as Byzantine fault-tolerant consensus protocols, have been developed to allow reliable, distributed computing to deal with Byzantine failures. Practical Byzantine fault tolerance is a consensus algorithm in distributed system that tolerates up to one-third of the total number of Byzantine nodes, meaning they can exhibit arbitrary and potentially malicious behavior without affecting the network. 
The algorithm ensures that the system reaches agreement on the order of request in the shortest time possible and maintains consistency even in Byzantine failures. Using a combination of digital signatures, timeouts, and acknowledgments, PBFT ensures that the consensus process progresses even if some nodes are faulty or malicious and that the system can continue to progress as long as the majority of nodes are honest. Federated Byzantine Agreements, or FBAs. Federated Byzantine Agreements are, well, it's another consensus algorithm in distributed systems designed for a decentralized network of nodes that can reach consensus without relying on a centralized authority. FBA is based on federating independent nodes into groups or federations. Each federation consists of a set of nodes that mutually trust each other. The algorithm ensures that nodes within a federation agree on the ordering and validity of transactions or events while allowing different federations to have separate consensus processes. Fediment is the most known federation and open source protocol to transact and custody Bitcoin, and it uses the Honey Badger Byzantine Fault Tolerant Consensus Algorithm, otherwise known as HBBFT. While Bitcoin's proof-of-work consensus mechanism is not technically a Byzantine fault-tolerant algorithm, it is nonetheless used to make Bitcoin Byzantine fault-tolerant. Network nodes cannot declare a block valid unless it contains a proof-of-work hash (coughs) indicating that work was done to produce it. Byzantine fault-tolerance requires tolerating a certain number of faulty or malicious nodes in the network while reaching a consensus. Bitcoin's proof-of-work consensus mechanism offers probabilistic finality, meaning that the longer the blockchain becomes, the more difficult it becomes for an adversary to perform an attack and rewrite or alter the history. Several Byzantine fault-tolerant algorithms are available, each with its own characteristics, trade-offs, and suitability for different use cases. The choice of a Byzantine fault-tolerant algorithm depends on factors such as performance, fault tolerance, scalability, transaction finality, network characteristics, and trust assumptions that suit the different blockchains from permissioned or permissionless networks to distributed databases or file systems. There are several reasons why a distributed computer system could have unavoidable Byzantine failures and they are not always coordinated malicious attacks. From a software defect to a hardware malfunction, Nodes may present different difficulties that prevent them from reaching consensus on distributed networks. Reasonably secure networks can withstand a few offline or malicious nodes without affecting the whole network, and Byzantine fault tolerance is the ability to handle such conditions. In 2008, Bitcoin's white paper proposed a solution to computer science's Byzantine generals problem. Quote, a purely peer-to-peer version of electronic cash would allow online payments to be sent directly from one party to another without going through a financial institution, stated Satoshi Nakamoto in the paper. He created a global monetary system that could be trustless for the first time in history, programmed to disincentivize bad behavior and encourage nodes and miners to act honestly instead. The Byzantine general's problem analogy can be extended to money and financial transactions, particularly in the context of decentralized digital currencies like Bitcoin. How can financial transactions be executed in a secure and trustless environment without the need for a central authority to verify and finalize the transfer of value even in the presence 
of Byzantine behavior? To solve the Byzantine general's problem, money must be completely trustless. Therefore, it should be verifiable, secure, transparent, decentralized, and counterfeit resistant. Bitcoin was designed with these attributes serving as its fundamental principles, resulting in a breakthrough solution to the Byzantine general's problem. Here's Bitcoin's solution. Number one, blockchain solves the double spend problem. Bitcoin handles users' ownership and prevents double spending in a trustless manner using a blockchain, the public and distributed ledger, which stores a history of all transactions and the truth that all parties must approve to resolve the Byzantine general's problem. Double spending refers to the possibility of spending the same digital currency unit more than once, which would undermine the integrity and value of the currency. Such a network of nodes is necessary to verify Bitcoin ownership through consensus mechanisms and cryptographic techniques such as digital signatures solving the double spending problem without a central authority. Byzantine fault tolerant consensus protocols and blockchain systems help prevent double spending by establishing agreement on the order and validity of transactions. Trust is placed in the underlying protocol and network consensus rather than a centralized intermediary. Proof-of-work solves the Byzantine general's problem. Proof-of-work requires a lot of energy, labor, and expense to produce a new block. This proof of computational work helps to secure the network against civil attacks by ensuring that adding new blocks to the chain is resource-intensive and costly. Network members who publish false information will be immediately detected by all nodes who recognize it as invalid and ignore it. Bitcoin is a trustless system since every node can verify all information on the network without needing to trust another network member. So in conclusion, a society moves increasingly toward distributed systems and adopts decentralized money like Bitcoin, the Byzantine General's problem approach becomes more essential to coordinate the actions of multiple independent parties without relying on centralized authorities. To be successful, systems must ensure Byzantine fault tolerance and guarantee resiliency and security even in the presence of flawed information so that a consensus can be reached despite the possibility of deception and betrayal from some parties. Bitcoin is ideally suited to provide a trustless environment to handle attacks. Its proof-of-work algorithm has protected the network security by fostering competition amongst miners, making it computationally infeasible for any single entity to control the network. This decentralized nature of Bitcoin, underpinned by Byzantine fault tolerance, showcases a robust model for ensuring consensus and security amidst potential misinformation and malicious intent. All right, so that's the article. But... Let's see if I can find this. Uh, let's see. I just had it. I had it marked, and like a dumbass, I lo- I lost it. Oh, uh, there was a really, there was a really good. Well, let's try, let's try this one. An algorithm that's big, that's Byzantine fault tolerant depends on factors such as performance, fault tolerance, scalability transaction finality, network characteristics, and trust assumptions that suit the different blockchains from permissioned or permissionless networks to distributed databases and file systems. Yeah, that was the one that I, that actually was the one that I picked. Okay, so that's what I want to to opine about right here. I had somebody, and I'm going to be talking about Noster, 
as an example of Byzantine fault tolerance. Noster, as a system, as a communications protocol, relies on relays at this point. Some people are are looking at different ways of doing this, but right now we're basically all, we have a bunch of relays. Some of us are connected to some relays. Others of us are connected to other relays. And some people are connected to like some relays in one group and some relays in the other group. Hopefully what happens is that because we have so many different connections between relays, that the relays will be able to get all of the information that's ever shot out by any particular pub key user or holder, and all their notes will be available to all users. But that is not the case. In my opinion, this represents a similar issue to a Byzantine fault that is not being tolerated by the system. It doesn't cause the system to collapse. Let Let me kind of back up and tell you what's going on here. Yesterday, for episode 800, I got a note on Noster, or I put out a note on Noster, you know, saying, hey, it's episode 800, y'all, and it's, you know, here's the link to the SoundCloud or whatever, and like a, a list of topics. I always do that. After I finish the show and I publish it to SoundCloud, I basically shoot it out in on Noster as to, you know, click this link and you can listen to the show. Okay. Somebody zapped that note, 100,000 Satoshis. That's the largest zap I believe that I've ever gotten on Noster. It didn't come through my lightning node, which I, which is like, it didn't come through podcasting 2.0. It wasn't, it had nothing to do with podcasting 2.0. This is all inside of Noster. I don't know who sent that zap. I, for, there's, there's several basically I've been using for uh, on my desktop, I've been using primal a lot to interact with the Nostra protocol. Primal will not give me a list of zappers and who zapped a note, or at least my version doesn't. And I'm pretty sure I'm up to date, but my, mine's not doing that. And I don't remember it ever doing that. Pri, uh, Domus on iOS, on the other hand, will show me who zapped a note. I know that I got 100,000 Satoshis into my GitAlbi wallet because I found it on GitAlbi. And I saw it on Primal. I saw that somebody zapped me 100,000 Satoshis. Well, I'm looking at the note and it's like, you know, 102,000 Satoshis. And I'm like, holy crap. And I can see that somebody somewhere that there was 100,000, you know, Satoshi zap. And I could tell because I was looking at the GitAlbi wallet and I'm like, oh my God. 100,000 Satoshis, but I can't find out who did it to properly thank them on Primal. So I go over to Domus because that will give me a list, right? That'll give me a list of, of exactly who zapped me and how much they zapped me so that I can find that user and thank them personally out in the open on Noster. Not through a DM, I mean fully publicly. And guess what? Domus did not pick up that 100,000 Satoshi zap. I know I got it because my Git Albi wallet proves it. Primal knows that it happened. So I have confirmation from two completely different systems that indeed somebody zapped me 100,000 sats. 
The only protocol that I can use or that I was, well, that I, I mean, I can use something else, but I haven't dug into it that deeply yet. But right now on my iOS, I can only use Domus to find out who zapped me, yet that zap was not relayed to Domus. So here we have an example of what a Byzantine fault actually looks like. There was not agreement amongst all the systems. I got two out of three that proved to me that I did get it, and I did, in fact, get it. And I have one system, the third system, that has no idea this shit happened. It's Byzantine fault tolerant. There was a, I, there was a tolerance for this fault, except for the fact that the one thing that I failed at is that I cannot correctly identify and therefore thank the person that gave me 100,000 Satoshis. So there's an example in the wild of kind of how this works. I hope the Byzantine general's problem is a little bit more clear to you. It's still not crystal clear to me because I keep thinking about five different armies on five different sides of a single city and how they're communicating with each other to coordinate an attack. But I'm getting closer and I hope you're closer as well. And these guys over in Argentina are getting close to mining with oil. Well, or at least with natural gas. Argentinian oil company is going to start mining crypto with gas power leftovers. Cointelegraph, I believe it's Ezra Reguera. Let me make sure. No, it's David Attlee. Tech Petrol, Tech Petrol hopes to reduce environmental impact by avoiding gas emissions and generate some additional profits in the meantime. A Buenos Aires headquartered oil company, Tech Petrol, has decided to convert excessive gas into energy for cryptocurrency mining. And as reported by local media on September the 24th, it will launch its first gas-powered crypto mining facility in the Los Toldos to Este region located north of Vaca Muerta in Argentine, Patagonia. The company claims its approach would allow it to advance its crude oil production project and optimize gas utilization, thereby reducing waste. The company is planning to drill at least 35,000 barrels of oil per day at the facility, but given the absence of infrastructure to consume the gas being released in the process, it decided to explore crypto mining as a strategic choice to consume it as Tech Petrol CEO Richard Marcos explained, quote, given our inability to release gas into the environment, we have opted to implement cryptocurrency mining operations, end quote. Tech Petrol hopes to, to commence the crypto mining between late October and early November. The primary goals are to reduce environmental impact by avoiding gas emissions and to generate some additional profits. So this is an Argentinian oil company. It's not Exxon. It's not Crusoe Energy, right? It's not like an American or Canadian-based, you know, Bitcoin mining company that's figured out for the last 10 years how to do this. No, 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 no. This is a completely different oil company. And they have, they're doing the same thing. That's important that it's a completely different company housed in a completely different region of the world under a completely different set of country governing rules. And they're going the same route. 
they're looking at natural gas emissions from the as a byproduct of oil drilling as a way to generate Bitcoin and make all the hysterical people in the world happy. But they're never going to be happy, are they? That which is a, a damn shame all by itself, but it is what it is. At least somebody is trying to do it. Chase UK has banned crypto transactions following a surge in scams, or at least that's what they're saying. Matt DeSilvo or Salvo tells us more out of Decrypt. <coughs> British, or sorry, banking giant JPM Morgan or JP Morgan, confirmed that its retail arm Chase is banning its British customers from making crypto transactions. British customers will not be able to buy digital assets on a Chase debit card or by transferring money to a crypto site from a Chase account from October the 16th, the announcement added. Chase told Decrypt in a Tuesday email that this was done to protect our customers and keep their money safe. The bank said in a note, to clients that the move was down done they said they it spelled down but it they meant done the move was done to increase to an increase in the number of crypto scams targeting uk customers if you'd still like to invest in crypto assets you can try using a different bank or provider instead but please be cautious as you may not be able to get the money back if the payment ends up being related to fraud or a scam a spokes a spokesperson continued in an email to decrypt that quote, crypto scams are part of a wider epidemic of fraud, which accounted for more than 40% of all reported crimes in England and Wales last year. So, yeah, so chase UK has basically told all their customers, you can't send money. And I like, I'm thinking like, like to strike or something like that. You know, you can't send money to Binance UK. You can't send money to, you know, any you certainly aren't ever going to be able to use the Chase UK to send any money to any cryptocurrency exchange. That's done. The off-ramps are closing. They say it's because of scams, but you know that that's BS. They're closing the on-ramps and the off-ramps. That's what they're doing because they have no control over these systems. They certainly don't have control of the Godzilla monster that is Bitcoin. Now, all the rest of them, they're pretty much going to be able to sack. But Bitcoin, they know they can't. And any of the other things that enable somebody to on-ramp to Bitcoin has to be dealt with immediately, which is one of the reasons probably why Gary Gensler wants to wait until 2024 before he allows his friends, and he does have friends at BlackRock, to get in. They're in accumulation phase. I saw a huge spike. Well, a pretty good spike in the price of Bitcoin this morning. And almost immediately, it went up to like 26800 And then it fell immediately back down to 26250 which has been chilling out for a while. I have a sneaky suspicion that this is accumulation phase by people at huge institutions and they're just getting ready for this crap. And they've told Gary, delay this. It's okay if you delay it. We'll work with you. 2024 sounds great for us. And now they're just accumulating. And they got a little bit, every once in a while, they get a little bit ahead of themselves. And they kind of crush the liquidity in the market as they buy. And it sends a price signal. So what do they do? And this is just, just 
This is just me pontificating. I don't know any of the following for a fact. What do they do when they accidentally buy too much and send the price of Bitcoin way up? They sell a big chunk all at once, crush the price back down, and then rebuy. But they try to buy a little bit slower. Now, again, I do not know that for a fact, but I got a sneaky suspicion that that is, in fact, what's going on. How about we run the numbers? CNBC futures and commodities. I got oil is up three and a third points. $93.39. Oh my God. Brent Norsee crude is selling with an additional 2.62% points to the upside. $96.46. Natural gas is also up 3.6% to $2.75 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline is up 1.81% to $2.60 a gallon. All of your shiny metal rocks are basically shit in the bed this morning. Gold is down one and a half to below $1,900. and ten cents. I got silver down over two points to $2,272. Got platinum is down two and three quarters. Copper is down a half and palladium is also down a half. Ag is mostly down. Uh, the biggest winner today is corn, 0.68% to the upside. Biggest loser today is going to be chocolate or cocoa, down 1.74%. I got live cattle, and it's down 0.12%. Lean hogs are up uh, 0.83%, and feeder cattle are down 0.82%. The Dow's taking a bath, 0.78% to the downside. That is a loss of 263 points. It is trading at 33,612 points. S&P is down 0.64%. NASDAQ is down a half. S&P mini is down scant, 0.03. Real money chilling out at $26,250. Boy, they like that, don't they? They really do. I wish it was a million dollars right now. Uh, 0.82%. BTC is the average transaction value. Median transaction value is 249 bucks. Block times are low, nine minutes and 17 seconds. 0.19 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 30 BTC taken overall in fees in the last 24 hours. With a negative 1% drop in hash rate, we have uh, 406.8 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator, as always, is Dogecoin, 6.1 United States pennies, and it shouldn't be worth anything. Pausing to recognize the people over here in Zap.stream. Inpub with some numbers zapped me 21 sats, and I thank you for that. Uh, yes, your test went through NPUB 1MLRJWTA. Uh, where did I get those sats? I don't know where you got those sats, brother. It says, what do you know? I have seven bucks in Albi. Isn't that nice? Actually, seven bucks is a lot. That's a lot of sats. It's a lot of sats. Give them to me. All right. $510.4 billion of market capitalization. That is 4.01% of gold's market cap. And you can, if you so choose, purchase 13.9 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,497,349.29 of. That's a lot of nines and 4,000. 
377 and a quarter of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at a measly $114.6 million, being run over 15,461 nodes, sporting 64,211 payment channels, 81.3% of all that shit's being run over Tor. Let me go back to note that we've lost quite a few Lightning nodes from yesterday to today. Yesterday, we were over 16,000. We've lost well over 500 Bitcoin or at least Lightning Network nodes from yesterday to today. I have no idea what happened. Maybe there's some kind of Amazon web outage somewhere. I don't know. But, but, but moving on to Mempool, we, it looks like we have even less transactions today. In fact, yeah, 127, uh, well, uh, let's say, let's call it 135 blocks carrying 315,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear with high priority transaction cost of 21 Satoshis per V-byte. Low priority you're going to get for 18. And anything under four and a half Satoshis per V-byte is going to be purged from mempools around the world. And their mining statistics shows a four. Ooh, holy shit. Man, mempool.space is showing hash rate at 468.5 exahashes per second. That is like 65 exahashes difference than what we saw over at, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, bitinfo.com. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's a hell of a big difference, man. Uh, I am still in the top 10 fountain charts from episode 800. It's episode 800, y'all. I have Fat Toshi helping me out with 21,800. Satoshi says, good show. Thank you, brother. Pies with 2,000 says, thank you. No, thank you, sir. Dubrovko with 1550 says, quote, every single letter, even spaces have a value. You even add a space and you get a different hash. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one title shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Matthew 5:18. Bitgus with a thousand says congrats on episode 800. Thank you. Axelrod with 888 says congratulations on 800 episodes. Keep them coming. Cheers. I will. At O2ZX with 808 says aw. Kick with 800 says congrats on 800, sir. Thank you for your decision to the, or dedication to the cause. Your podcast has broadened my understanding of the possibilities for Bitcoin. And here's to another 800. Thank you, brother. Yegro with 800 says, grats on 800 episodes. Stones throw away from that 1,000. Also, the song you played at the end of the show was pretty awesome, even though I didn't understand most of it. Yeah, I know, that's because it's German. But it's a kick-butt song, dude. Tom Finnegan, 22 with 500 says, long-time listener, first-time booster. Thank you. No, thank you, sir. Pies with 500 says, the beat on the outro was hard AF. I agree. James 420 with 420 says, David, you're a fucking legend. Keep doing this. 800 is nothing. I'll see you at 8,000. And every day in between, you should try smoking one just to celebrate. Okay, maybe some edibles before bed. Help me stop drinking. Thank you, sir. And congrats, James420, for stopping drinking. I have been drinking far less lately. I've been going through the entire week without any alcohol whatsoever. And I've been doing that for a while now. Saturday nights, eh, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll kick back with, you know, a few beers or a bottle of wine or something like that. But I have been really trying to keep my shit straight 
with this drinking crap. It's not good for you. It's not good for me. Let's all follow James 420 and just let's get rid of this bullshit. User with a shit ton of numbers says 400 with some emojis that I can't read because my, well, I won't get into it. User with another shit ton of numbers with 100 says, congratulations, sir. Up only in pies finishes us off with 100 Satoshis. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Um, let's I'm going to start out here with um, some further thanks from people on Noster. Or I, I need to thank a couple of people on Noster for saying some nice things about episode 800. Since they weren't in the boostograms over on Fountain, I'm going to do them separately here at the head of this part of the show. Zach at whynoster.com on Noster says... It's episode 800. Wow, what an accomplishment, none your business. I've only been around for the last hundred or so. Not sure what took me so long to find you, but I do know what helped me find you, Noster. I love the pod and enjoy listening as I'm doing my fiat job or working around my house. It's like listening to your best friend discuss Bitcoin happening, and they are even more of a Bitcoin fanatic than you are. The news recaps keep me informed of the happenings without having to go to another site or source that ultimately doesn't even tell me the stuff I want to know anyways. Grateful for your work, David. All in all, I highly recommend the pod. Give episode 800 a listen here. And he actually links to the direct fountain.fm URL for that particular episode. Thank you, brother. I appreciate it, Zach. I really do. This one is actually from Pablo. Pablo F7Z. And um, yeah, this one between him and Zach, this, you know, they, they really kind of got to me when I was reading them last night. Nunya Business had just released episode 800. Episode 800. If you've never tried to be consistent with something, let me tell you, 800 is an incredibly impressive number. He has done that throughout the years with no sponsors, no ads, no team or monetization strategy, just his raw passion. An incredibly underrated, genuine podcast. Congrats, David. Zap this guy. And he also puts a link in the show notes, this time to the SoundCloud URL. And, you know, Pablo isn't somebody that, that you know, nobody knows. You know, this is a guy who ships constantly. In fact, I, I think that he does, I, I get the feeling that he doesn't sleep. Or if he does sleep, it's like four hours a night. Because all he does is ship. And... When somebody like Pablo, you know, says that, well, says what he says, kind of gets you right in the feels, man. It really does. It gets you right in the feels. Thank you, Pablo. I I really do appreciate that. And I also appreciate everything that you've done for the Noster ecosystem, because without you, I'm pretty sure we wouldn't have half of the stuff that we have to play with. All right. HRF. Gifts are here. They've been announced. They're brand new. This is on top of all the other grants the Human Rights Foundation has done. They have released 19 Bitcoin worth half a million dollars into the wild via its Bitcoin Development Fund to support 15 projects worldwide targeting global education, Bitcoin Core, DLCs on Lightning, 
eCash, and scholarships. You can learn more about this exclusive from Bitcoin Magazine, but I'm going to just read you what HRF wrote themselves. Grant number one, 50000 to Fursey for his work on Bitcoin Core. Funding will support his essential contributions to enhancing core software stability, performance, and security by reviewing PRs and fixing bugs. Grant number two, $50,000 to Summer of Bitcoin to support their incredible Summer Fellowship Program. The 2023 program featured more than 10,000 applicants from more than 70. That's seven zero different countries. Grant number three. 50K to Gerald for his work on Bitcoin Core. Grant number four, 50K to Ventium for their work on expanding open source Bitcoin work in Latin America and Brazil. Funding will support Bitcoin Core developers, foster Bitcoin communities, and build a Bitcoin Core developer pipeline education program in Latin America. And we need more, more, more in Latin America. We need tons more. That's the future. I like Africa too. Don't get me wrong. But the future in the Western Hemisphere is Latin America. And if you can't see that, you're going to have a bad time. Grant number five to G. Deer for his work on Lightning Native Stablecoins and Bitcoin Core. Grant number six, 50K to Kwabiki Foundation to build a MENA or MENA Bitcoin Hub. That the MENA Bitcoin Hub will educate activists, journalists, and nonprofits on using Bitcoin to transact freely and receive international donations and hold their money securely and privately. Number seven is 50K to Justin Moiler for his work on Fediment. Grant eight is 25K to D++ for her international education initiatives and work on free open software or free open source software projects. Uh, grant number nine is 25K to Bitcoin Ikasi for their efforts to build a circular Bitcoin economy in South Africa. Number 10, 25K to Amidi for her work on Bitcoin mentorship and Bitcoin bytes. Grant number 11, 25K to Ben Perrin for international Bitcoin education. Number 12, 25K to La Liberia, or La, sorry, La Libraria. In De Satoshi to make technical education accessible to as many Spanish speakers as possible. 13 is 10K in travel grants to TabConf. 14 is 10K in travel grants to SatsConf. 15K, or sorry, number 15 is 10K in travel grants to BTC. HRF is proud to support a diverse range of projects to make Bitcoin a better global tool for human rights. Since early 2020, we've supported more than 95 projects globally with more than $3.2 million in USD and BTC gifts. Submit proposals at dev.fund at hrf.org. That's dev.fund at hrf.org. Donate and learn more at hrf.org forward slash devfund. Thank you, HRF, for all that you do. I appreciate it. The future of energy, Bitcoin mining. Mike Hobart, Bitcoin Magazine. If energy is so important to any and every economy, why is it so aggressively avoided in research and discussion? Going further, why such heavy over-politization and division in the industry? Discard the tribalism in energy is nothing more than noise. It's nonsensical down to its core. We need as much energy being generated as possible in a way that doesn't break an economy and that can allow us to keep the wheels of society turning. 
How do we achieve such a lofty goal? Direct monetization of energy generation. One issue. Demand for power is volatile. It doesn't remain consistent throughout the day, let alone throughout the year. This volatility also bleeds into the varying forms of energy for economies that experience seasonal climate volatility or may be restricted in access to diverse sources. Is there a way for us to smooth out this demand volatility so that energy producers can maintain a consistent run rate while still being capable of providing reliable power to societal fluctuations? The future of energy. The answer is yes, yes, yes. This is achievable through Bitcoin mining. We can use Bitcoin mining to squelch the fraternal squabbles between all of the energy generators. All are free to compete for hash rate and seek that fabled next Bitcoin subsidy distribution so long as they agree to redirect power to the grid in society's moments of needs, which has been shown to be effective in multiple events and scenarios in tex- on Texas's ERCOT grid system as well as in Georgia. The greater the power generating capacity of the operation, the more that they can afford to give society what it needs and still be capable of capturing revenue via Bitcoin mining. The best part is that Bitcoin does not care where the energy is coming from or where it's being sourced from. It wants all of it. We can now justify the rapid expansion of energy generation and distribution infrastructure by providing perpetual and highly competitive demand for that energy. Demand that is both buyer of first resort and last. This demand can be sourced through the cheapest energy resources or through expanding current operations to provide greater output and maximize efficiency. All strategies are viable with this approach, providing a responsive demand to the grid that can smoothen out. The total demand curve is revolutionary. A well-balanced system would have overall demand looking at consistent and flat as the line representing nuclear power supply above. And they, they, they have a graph. And yes, the, the, there's, a, like, uh, there, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight different energy sources like solar power storage, coal, lignite, wind, other nuclear, hydro, natural gas. And nuclear is a flat ass line. Is just flat as a board. <clears throat> so, but when you have natural demand ebbing and flowing, you need a flexible demand source that can fill the gap in between. You need a load that can be shut off when societal demand surpasses forecast, but provides such a benefit through both operational improvements and revenues that their product is readily sought after when circumstantial demands are satisfied that they can be brought back online as soon as possible. That, ladies and gentlemen, is what the Bitcoin miners down in ERCOT and Georgia are doing. They are filling the gaps. What this is also doing is providing an incentive for energy generators to produce as much as possible, meaning that there is now a justification to build out operations that are capable of producing far more energy than is required but can be of use in the future. What happens to demand when the supply of electrons does not make production of the commodity easier, where such an asset only continues to gobble up as much energy as is thrown at it, not like gold, not like oil. 
These are two commodities that result in natural market forces bringing an end to high prices by justifying increased production during high prices and decreased production during low prices. That's the beauty of the difficulty adjustment in Bitcoin mining. When more power gets dedicated to the network, the blocks begin to get completed too fast. The network ratchets up the difficulty and vice versa when blocks are coming in too slowly, it drops the difficulty. There is no overproduction and oversaturation of supply due to high prices. Meanwhile, mining pools allow for Bitcoin miners to work together to earn the Bitcoin subsidy. When such an outcome occurs, the mining pool distributes earnings to the pool participants according to how much effort was dedicated as a percentage of the pool total, resulting in a far more consistent stream of income than if, if these miners were working alone. All energy generators stand to benefit from deploying data centers full of ASIC miners to take advantage of the perpetual demand afforded the Bitcoin mining network. Furthermore, the highly competitive industry is providing visceral demand for improvements in chip efficiency, as well as the sourcing of not only the cheapest energy, but the most abundant capacity that is not being effectively utilized, which is why energy producers and utilities are doing just that, using Bitcoin mining to maximize efficiencies and improve operations while earning an extra line of revenue. The very foundations of energy are being retooled. The tribalism within energy will die away as all producers aim their sights at the great orange future cresting over the horizon, and they're all positioned to make a lot of money for it. <laughs> all right, Mike. Yeah, I mean, it, he just kind of basically is just, you know, saying what we kind of know. But I want to I look at this from a different standpoint. Let's take this couple of sentences here. Going back to about the middle of the article, we can now justify the rapid expansion of energy generation and distribution infrastructure by providing perpetual and highly competitive demand for that energy. Demand that is both buyer of first resort and last. I want you to think of mushrooms and the mycelia that I constantly talk about. This webbing that's underneath the soil that, that you can't really see it, but it connects trees to grasses and grasses to shrubs and shrubs to trees and shrubs to other shrubs and trees to trees and grasses to grasses. And it's all the same organism. And it has this, this neat capacity to every once in a while throw out a fruiting body. That's the mushroom that we normally see. And make spores. Those spores are then carried upon the wind to other places and they land in soil. And if the conditions are right, even if there's not a damn thing around it and it reproduces, that spore is able to successfully break open, get hydrated with water, break open and start a mycelium network, and there's no other mycelium there, it doesn't matter. As long as it can group itself or, or attach itself to a tree, a shrub, a grass or something that's going to give it sugar, all of a sudden it has its food source. Now, let's say another spore lands in a completely different area, but not too terribly far away, right? Maybe 12 feet. We'll give it six feet. Six feet away, another spore from the same mushroom, so it's, genetic, so it's from the same organism. It is genetically compatible, and it's definitely the same species. 
lands kind of close to it, but it's completely separated from it. But it too, that spore also successfully bursts open and is able to find itself a plant partner that provides sugars from its root systems, which all plants do. And all of a sudden it has its food source. Why is that whole thing important? Because mushrooms can't produce their own food. They have to go get it. And sugar is a great food source for things like mushroom mycelium. Now, we've got two decentralized organisms that have an energy source. That energy source is the carbon bonds in the sugar. And then they start going out because they have to give the plant something in order to get that sugar. So they start going out. They use that energy to make uh, organic acids. And those dissolve rocks and minerals in the soil. It dissolves them so well that they're able to pick up molecules and elements of zinc and molybdenum and cadmium and whatever, whatever's out there in the soil that you might want and deliver it back to the plant. And when the plant gets it, it says, thank you by giving more sugar. Now that's carbon. Carbon bonds are a pure energy source. So just think of the sugar as energy, right? What let's think about sugar as the waterfall that has a turbine attached to it or a windmill that has a turbine attached to it and is producing energy. Let's just look at that as sugar. I've got two things that are able to take that sugar and they're not connected to anything else. And then eventually they keep growing. They keep mining. They keep producing organic acids and they keep delivering their shipments of minerals to the plant, which the plant can't really get by itself or not very well. And the plant says, thank you. I'll give you more energy. And they finally meet. The two mycelial mats finally meet. Because they're genetically compatible, basically talking the same language, they fuse together and they become one organism. Now you have an actual distribution network, don't you? You see what I'm getting at? If we start throwing, if we start looking at a a small hydroelectric plant that somebody just pops into a completely not not even inhabited part of the world and starts producing energy. The organic acid production, the ability to trade this energy for something of use becomes Bitcoin mining. And then at one point or another, it becomes kind of, well, somebody actually kind of needs to tend that stuff. We'll hire this dude. He'll live out there because he doesn't want to have shit to do F all for all people in the world. He's a hermit. Well, let's pay him to be a hermit and he can take, we'll train him to take care of the ASICs and replace power supplies and he can live out there. Well, all of a sudden he doesn't want to be a hermit anymore. He calls his brother on the phone, says, dude, I got a gig, bro. And we're expanding. We're actually, you know, making more power than we can use. They want to put more Bitcoin miners. I can't keep up with it. You come out here and live with me, bring your wife and her best friend. And then they both get married and they start having kids. And all of a sudden, they're for some, maybe some other people move in. And then all of a sudden, you got a little town. Well, all of a sudden, they start needing energy to light their homes and heat their homes and do all the kinds of stuff that they need. So they start using the energy produced by the hydroelectric that they put down, aka the mushroom spore that has now spawned a mycelial mat. And they start harvesting that energy for their own usage. And then all of a sudden, the, the amount of Bitcoin mining decreases. 
You see how this works? And then another town 12 miles away did the exact same thing. And all of a sudden they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow and they grow. Maybe they, maybe they finally decide that, you know, there's some stuff over there that I can't get over here. What if we build a road? Boom. You've got two mycelial mats that have just connected to each other. And now you have an organism that was once two different organisms. And that's one of the ways that I think about Bitcoin pretty much all the time. And if you start thinking about it that way, then there's nothing technological about what's going on. In fact, Bitcoin to me is a natural consequence. It was always going to happen. As long as you've got cephalized bipedal idiots that are jumping out of trees and decide that they want to get smarter about stuff and they start doing things and reaching for stuff and building fucking tools, you're going to end up with Bitcoin. It could have been whales. It didn't have to be primates. Anybody, anything, any species that decides that they want to start doing stuff other than eating and sleeping and screwing each other and having kids, if they want to do anything else, then Bitcoin was going to be inevitable. It isn't an invention. It's a discovery. It was always here. It was always needed. It's always going to be here. It's always going to be needed. And there's something else out there that we haven't figured out yet. And we will discover that at the time that the universe decides to open that avenue up to us. And I'm not talking about a replacement for Bitcoin. I'm talking about something that we don't know. We didn't know anything about Bitcoin until somebody stumbled across it. They didn't invent it. It was always here. When I start thinking that way, it becomes much easier for me to digest the fact that I think that this is the God particle. I think Bitcoin is actually the God particle. But I've pontificated way too long upon that thing. James, thank you for the thousand sats over there in, uh, let's see if I've missed anybody else, over there in Zapstream. Yeah. And DeFi Yogi says, you can count on me, sir. Let's see. uh, Let's see. You should try Brazilian cacao. Count on me, sir. It's a liquor. Okay, so it's a liqueur. All right. You know what? I... I might have seen this before. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to confuse all those people <laughs> that are that are out there in Nosterland. Let's see. What else? Do I have anything else here? I do. And we'll end with this one because I am like, yeah, I'm way over. Obla.news user named Star Builder. Check this shit out. We're going into a little bit of AI here. Um, and honestly, that's, yeah, there's I actually had a, uh, uh, I might have to do that one too. We'll see how it goes. All right. Introducing Pleb AI, the real open AI. This is from Star Builder over on Obla.news. Silicon Valley elites are pouring billions of dollars into building closed AI systems that can ingest all of our data, then scare politicians into creating regulations that install them as overlords. They will not win in that game because of millions of plebs like us band together, build in public, democratize AI access for all, and beat them at their own game. We call this movement Pleb AI. Pleb AI exclusively connects to open source large language models. These models are neither biased nor tuned 
to produce a specific set of responses. By focusing on open source solutions, Pleb AI ensures transparency and community-driven development. Uh, users can trust the information they receive, knowing it's free from undue influence or proprietary modifications. The commitment to impartiality positions Pleb AI as a trusted platform for unbiased knowledge and assistance. 25 years ago, I watched the movie Matrix and laughed when Agent Smith replicated himself into the thousands. Today, that scenario is unfolding in real time. On Pleb AI, we have made remarkable progress, surpassing single digits, as we now boast a team of highly skilled agents, proficient in various activities, ready to assist. The cool part is anyone can create their own agent and make it public or private. Join us in building this together. Check it out by going to chat.plebai.com. Again, that is chat.plebai.com. There's no email or signups required. There's no credit card or upfront payment required. There's no ads. There are no trackers. Chat histories are only stored on the browser. It uses only open source large language models Create your own agent and you can make it public or private. You can use the Lightning Wallet on your browser. Okay, so what is it? Well, if I go over to chat.plebai.com, I get this. And I'm going to put this into the screen share that I'm throwing over on zap.stream. For all the people that are listening audio only, I am sorry, but that actually is not it. Hold on for a second. Why did it do that? Hold on, hold on. I don't want that one. I want this one. This is the one that I want. Yes. Okay. So this is chat.plebai.com. After, after, after I started playing around with it. Okay, so this isn't the your 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 uh, get into it interface. There is a cat with sunglasses on a beach that is sort of like a test prompt that this particular AI agent that is one of a list of agents actually gives you that you can play with, and it returned this. I said, hey, you know, it said, hey, you test it out. Here's a couple of prompts. So I just clicked a prompt, and it was a white and brown colored cat with sunglasses on a beach, and sure enough, it creates a picture of like, you know, mid journey or something like that of a cat. It's clearly AI. I mean, it's like, you know, it's, it has all the hallmarks of an AI generated picture, but it just pops up and it's actually in a pretty big format, like lot, like a lot of pixels. So then I say, well, let me try it. I say, well, you know what? Let's just do it all over again. I'm going to uh, take that one off and I'm going to go over here to AI agents. And I have a list of AI agents. I can talk to the agent known as Jesus Christ, or I can talk to an English editor, or I can I can hook up with code GTP. These are all little buttons that are on this screen that you will find at chat.plebai.com. And you can talk to McConaughey, you know, Matthew McConaughey, or a doctor GPT, or an angry GPT, or a roastmaster, or Zara Fitminder, which I guess is a exercise GPT. Anyway, so you click one of these things and I'm going to go to Gen Image AI and it gives me basically a description. It says, this tool 
generates any type of image using prompts. It employs open source stable diffusion 1.5 with automatic 1111 interface and runs on a small NVIDIA A10 instance. Okay, so it says start with these suggested prompts. So I'll say, you know what? I'm going to choose portrait photo of a muscular bearded guy. You know what? I'm not going to do that one. I don't want any muscled up dudes on my shit. All right, photo of a young woman, birthday party, cake. Okay, we'll do that one. So I click this one. It's working. It's working. It's got a little cat emoji, you know, up there with, you know, pounding the keyboard and then boom. Now I get it like, you know, what looks like an 11 year old girl uh, in front of a bir- or uh, behind a birthday cake. And then there's four candles on it when she's clearly not four years old. She's like 11, but it generated an image. Now I didn't have to pay for that. So down at the bottom, it says, tell me what's on your mind. It's a little prompt box. So I'm going to type in or Paste in a bipedal steampunk looking robot eating dead branches in a forest and excreting charcoal. Okay, now here's where the fun comes in. I Because I have Git Albi as a browser extension, it says it, uh, it automatically comes up with the Git Albi little window and says approve payment. Pleb AI is requesting 100 Satoshis or about three United States pennies to do this job. Okay. 100 sats? Shit, yeah, brother. Pay now. So I hit the pay now button. My little chat or my little cat over in the corner is kicking its ass on, on like a little laptop, just typing and typing and typing and typing. And we'll see what this thing comes up with. And I'm probably have to wait. So I'm going to take a swig of coffee. Oh, nope. Came up with a bipedal looking robot in a forest, but it's not eating branches and excreting charcoal. It's just covered with branches, but it does look rather steampunk and it's a big picture. And I paid a hundred sats for it. I don't need mid journey. I don't need this. Don't you see what's going on here? It's yes. Is pleb or is chat.plebai.com a version of centralized actions because it's like one place that I go that has a whole bunch of different agents. Well, yes, but at one point or another, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shit the bed every single time somebody comes up with something that's centralized. We always go centralized first, but it's got all these different chat bots like in ways to make art. I haven't even explored all of it yet, but the point is, is that I can just pay with lightning. I don't, I mean, right now I have a subscription to chat GPT four, which is basically falling on its ass. It's become very stupid. And now I think I'm just, it's 20 bucks a month. And I think I'm just going to lose that subscription and start using chat.plebai.com because it's got everything that I want. I can generate art. I can talk to a doctor, not that I would take its advice, but it's got everything that I would possibly want. And I can pay as I go, I don't sign up. I don't give my credit card details. It doesn't send me emails because it didn't ask for one. I can just use my Git Albi wallet. This is the way of the future. It Even if you hate AI, and I don't blame you, I, I don't blame you one stinking bit for being a person that hates AI. Even if you don't believe it's going to take all of our jobs, you just think it's fucking stupid. I get it. There's several aspects of this. Like I would never hang this post, this piece of art that came through from the AI agent for making this, this picture 
I would never hang it on my wall. I might use it as poster art for the podcast today. I might do that just just because. But the point is, AI is not going away. And it's going to become, and for many people, including me, it already is useful. Is it taking over my life? No. Is it going to take over yours? No, I don't think so. Is it going to take over the world? No. Is it going to be everywhere in the world? Yes. And therein lies the crux of this particular biscuit. You're going to have to live with AI, whether you like it or not. And if you didn't want a subscription or you wanted to use something else or you wanted to just you wanted to actually maybe use AI in a way that was a path that was led that leads to AI that was built by somebody who's a full blown pleb. Well, then here you go. Give chat.plebai.com a try. Just give it a try and we'll and tell me about it you know, later. But that's going to do it for the morning roundup. Wednesday, it's Dad Says Jokes Day. Ladies, if he can't appreciate your fruit jokes, you need to let that man go. <laughs> Dubrovko. <laughs> God, yesterday's song out was pretty awesome at 1.75x, though. <laughs> I'll bet it was. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how they handled, how a, a podcast app handles pitch shifting on a song at 1.75. Shit, Dubrov, I'm going to have to do that myself just to see what that shit sounds like because I didn't even think about that. All right, if you want to support the show, you know where to go. It's Podcasting 2.0. Stream me Satoshis. Give me Boostergrams. Ask me questions in those Boostergrams. Throw me Satoshis in the Boostergrams. I will answer. I will read. I promise. I swear to God. Unless you put stuff in there that is going to get me thrown in a federal penitentiary. I ain't going to read that shit. But almost anything else, I will put your ass on the show. Again, speaking of being on the show, Circle P is open for business. Good Beans Coffee. That is thegoodbeans.com. 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 Buy your coffee. Get your coffee. Make your coffee. Drink your coffee, throw it on Noster, and tell Good Beans that I, David Bennett, aka Nunya Business, at the Bitcoin and Podcast via Circle P, told you about them. And the reason that they got that sale was simply because of me. And I will see you on the other side. Did he get very far?
This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.